Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How's it going, people of God? <clears throat> I see the reflection of my glasses. I'm going to take them off. Um, it's great to be with you guys on this Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. Moving into the fall. We are in the month of October 2021. Today is October 13th. And we're going to be studying uh, 1 Timothy chapter... First Timothy chapter three. But um, so join in, go ahead and share. Share the Facebook live message with whoever you'd like. It's going to be a great time tonight. Um, we're going to be having a discussion with Paul, um, our, our, our professor, Professor Paul, um, who was an apostle to the. To the. Um, the Gentiles, <clears throat> and we're going to be discussing a letter that he wrote to Timothy, a letter that he was giving instruction to Timothy, one of his spiritual sons in the Lord, um, because Paul had been preparing Timothy for ministry. He was handing over different things like authority, uh, teaching, knowledge, wisdom, experience, uh, and position. He was he was handing over position to Timothy, which happens in life and in the world to people who are um, competent, who are faithful, who are able. Um, and um, and praise God, that was that was a wonderful thing. Um, last week, Brother Enoch was teaching on First Timothy chapter two, and I believe some of you guys were on the the. The video called last Wednesday where uh, Paul gave instructions to Timothy on worship, on holiness, godliness, um, on order in the church. Uh, some of the things that Paul said, I think you would take um, exception to. I know I do. I take ex exception to what Paul says about the ability for women to teach or preach or to have authority um, over men um, in the spiritual settings or church settings. I believe women are called to also preach and teach. Um, I believe women can, when they are called um, and are capable of leading men um, and women, and just as men are capable of leading, leading both men and women. Um, and I know Paul has some things to say about it. <clears throat> I'm not so sure Paul was speaking from the, the standpoint of um, being spirit led, so to speak, in that particular um, way in First Timothy ch uh, chapter 2. I believe Paul may have been speaking um, from his own personal opinion um, in that context. And I will uh, be speaking to that in just a little bit. We're, but we're so we're going to we're going to focus on chapter three. But I will I will reference chapter two um, and his comments about about women in the church. Um, so I think it, it begs our attention to to continue to uh, have a livened um, conversation about it. Praise the Lord. Looking looking forward to the the Bible study with you guys. If you have any questions about what we're studying, you can just drop your your comment in the comment box about the Bible study, and we could answer those as well. I think an interactive Bible study can be super helpful. It could be fun. And I would love to hear from you guys on the matter. Um, if you're new to our broadcast, and it's a very simple, humble, uh, homespun broadcast um, that I'm coming to you guys from. My name is Josh Canales, and I am one of the pastors of Mission Ebenezer Family Church. And um, uh, it's the church of my life, and it's a blessed it's a blessed church. It's a it's a great people. The Lord has blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful um, 
uh, piece of uh, land in the South Bay area of South Los Angeles in the city of Carson. And we have about five acres there and people come to worship together. People grow in the word of God in fellowship. More than anything, we're a family. We're a family that, that God's called us to be. And Paul talks about that family dynamic in chapter three. We're going to read, read that. Why don't we go ahead and, and open in a word of prayer. I want to welcome Gilbert, uh, Sister Victoria, Sister Jean, Christina um, to the call today. My mother-in-law, Modupe, uh, Brother Jorge Ortega, Christina Hector, Jerry Foster. God bless you guys. Let's pray real quick and then we'll dive into this word. And, and I want to, I want to, um, I want to stretch our thinking a little bit. I want to pique your interest. God bless you, Sister Tony. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We love you. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. And here we are wrestling with the text, wrestling with the word of God. Um, much of the word of God, Lord Jesus, is straightforward. Um, we know that uh, the word of God is is powerful and it's authoritative. We know that also the word of God can sometimes create problems and issues for us. And that's fine. We have minds to think. When we read the letters of Paul, we know that they're letters that he was writing to somebody. Um, we believe that these letters and books were selected as part of a compilation of books that were helpful for Christian growth, Christian learning, the edification of the church. And at the same time, um, we have the ability and you've given us the power to be able to challenge some of these things and to, to think about them. Um, and so, Lord, we ask that you would be with us in our discussion and conversation uh, today. Praise the Lord. So look at what Paul says here in, in the second chapter of First Timothy. So you got to go grab your Bible. Please go grab, grab your Bible. Por favor, agarren su Biblia porque vamos a leer um, primero de Timoteo, um, versículo uh, 9 hasta 13. We're going to read First Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 13, or 15. And then we're going to continue on in chapter 3. We're going to go one verse at a time and we'll talk about it. And I want to hear your questions. If you have uh, comments, you have concerns, please share them with me. I have my notes right here that I'm going to follow. But also, more than anything, we're going to just comb through the Word of God. So welcome to our Bible study. We're going to study the Bible. Verse 9 of chapter 2 says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Uh, here in verse 9, Paul was uh, highlighting a couple of descriptives that um, were trying to bring some, some caution to the way um, women brought attention to themselves. Only because in the first century, you had lots of, um, you know, temples around the Mediterranean region, part of the Greco-Roman world. You had lots of pagan prostitutes. You had uh, just people open and openly um, and very, very hypersexualized, much like our society today. I mean, how can you say that it's any different? Um, but the, 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 the female prostitutes or the shrine prostitutes used to braid their hair and it was a way to attract the attention, um, the use of, of jewelry um, in the first century also um, was modeled after a certain type of person or lifestyle that was um, reflecting a, a very sexualized uh, culture, a very sexualized way of uh, seeing, way of living, way of being. And Paul was trying to create a separation from 
um, how women portrayed themselves, uh, especially in public settings. Because at this point in the story, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy somewhere in the mid-60s, mid-60s, 60 AD, Amno Domini, the year of our Lord. And so in the mid-60s, this is 30 years after Christ had ascended. So you're talking three, 30 years later, they're starting to form in house churches. Uh, they're starting to gather together uh, in the ecclesia or the iglesia or the churches. And the, the Christian gatherings were starting to break away and meet separately from the Jewish gatherings on the Sabbath, on Saturday. They started to have gatherings and worship gatherings on Sundays. And we see here that Paul was addressing some things so as to create a kind of a distinction. That's the best word. Paul wants to create a distinction from Christian women and other women in the world. Um, and so he speaks to that. He says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, something that would attract attention. Now, in, in our day and age, um, we probably don't see anything wrong with somebody dressing up nicely, using jewelry. We probably don't make a big deal if you're going out and you have a, a nice necklace on. Oftentimes, I'll wear my necklace um, that my dad gave to me. It's got a cross on it. And most of the time I tuck it in. Other times I wear it out. Um, and I personally don't think that it's a sin to wear my gold necklace out. I don't think it's a sin to wear my ring. Um, it's gold. I don't think it's a sin to wear a, another ring or, you know, a bracelet or a watch. Um, you know, other people wear different type of jewelry or different type of decorative things and you know, some of us may take issue with it because for tradition or cultural reasons. But at the end of the day, God is looking at the heart. At the end of the day, God is looking at the heart of a man, the heart of a woman. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty opinionated person. How about you? Right. So we're 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 pretty opinionated folks. And, and the problem with sometimes with Christians is, is that we take our opinions, we put a religious stamp on them and then we start to you know quibble over non-issues like we start to we start to take issues with stuff that it's like God doesn't even care about in my opinion now if you know Paul doesn't speak to men right here on instructions about how to dress and how to, all that but Paul very well could have reminded men to not try and draw attention or or attract people to them by the way they dressed, by the way they carried themselves. Paul could have done that too here. Um, so it must have been something that he was writing to Timothy about because Timothy must have written to Paul. Timothy must have written to Paul about an issue that they were dealing with, with new Christians, Gentiles. You have Jewish people and Jew, the Jews tended to be a little bit more um, probably modest, those that were um, more religious. And then you had the Gentile people who were coming from different religions, different practices, different customs. Paul was trying to give them some boundaries on how to distinguish themselves from um, other faiths, other walks of life. Um, other religious practice. And then also he wanted to create a little modesty within the, the body of believers so as to try and reduce temptation. Now, temptation is all around. You could be tempted to judge somebody. That's temptation. You could be tempted. I, I might see something and be tempted to judge them as well. And that could be a temptation. So there's temptation all around, not just temptation with our eyes. But Visibly or physically is the first thing that that men are drawn to. Uh, women are drawn to some of those things as well. But from what I hear, women are not as physically 
um, tempted or they don't, they're not physically, let's just say, um, aroused, you know, sexually speaking, as much as men are. And so Paul was trying to um, lower this heightened sense of sexuality and trying to um, help the church grow and not have impediments, issues, problems where sexual immorality or temptation or distractions were being an issue. And granted, this 2,000 years ago, we all know that it was a male-dominated, um, a male-dominated culture. The, the, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews, a very male-dominated culture then. Um, we still deal with a lot of that today, although, you know, women have um, more rights, more privileges, um, and the ability to also um, experience and enjoy different things in life. Let's continue. He says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Now, again, Paul could not have been coming from a Jewish way of thinking that was consistent with this kind of thought. Paul was influenced very much so by the Greco-Roman culture um, of the day. And here's why I know that. I know that for a fact because Paul wrote in Greek, right? And Paul was raised in a learned um, situation. Paul was a, a student. Paul was um, the type of person who was educated. And the majority of educated people in the philosophical schools in the first century were all men. No women were allowed to go to school. No women were allowed to be educated and trained up in the letters, in the arts, in the sciences. It was all men. Unless you were really, really rich and the, the, the father or the mother had an, um, you know, an enlightened way of thinking, they would include their daughters if their daughters really insisted upon it. But the majority of women did not. And so Paul says right here to Timothy, and I know... Um, Professor Enoch last week talked about, um, he took exception with Paul's um, Paul's discussion here about women not being able to teach or to usurp a man's authority. But Paul says here, I don't allow women to, um, to teach or have authority over a man. That means that's something, a part of Paul's philosophical ministry or his way of being. So I think that's part of Greek and Roman thought. And I, and I personally think that in the first century, Paul was trying to create inroads for our Christian faith to grow. And I think it would have been an impediment for the Christian faith to grow maybe then in the first century by um, allowing women to be in a, in a, in a, um, a school or church, or or synagogue, or or gathering place, a place of learning, a learning center, where women were actually learning to read, to write, to teach, to preach, and to have authority. There was a difference, by the way, men viewed women. They they didn't view women as smart as men. <laughs> That's crazy to us here in the twenty first century to think that um, somehow women. Um, were, are, were not or are not as smart as men. Um, also, there was a myth um, many, 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 many years, hundreds of years ago that men's heads were bigger. And because men's heads were bigger, hence their brains were bigger. And because their brains were bigger, they were smarter than women. Well, God made us all differently physiologically. Our, our minds, our brains, our, our cranium, our... Um, Everything he made our he made our our bodies differently. Um, he he made women with different attributes and physical features that men don't have. So you can't really compare men and women physio physiologically, but intellectually, you know, it can be said that women are just as intelligent as men, um, 
And because they have more of a nurturing responsibility overall in nature, that they end up um, spending more of their time in nurture um, with family. And so they have more time dedicated towards caring for people with, with their hands, with their feet, with their bodies, whereas men t- tend to be a little bit more liberated to be able to think, to study, to um, be a little bit more free, to enjoy the luxuries of not having to care directly for a family or young children the way women do. And that's just a fact. And I think we can all agree about about that, or at least we should, that God made us all differently. And men have responsibilities with raising children as well, but there's some things that men can't do that women can do, and there's other things that men can do that women cannot do. And that's um, just brute, raw, physical strength. Um, So there's a whole lot of different things. And then Paul goes on to say, for Adam was formed first, then Eve um, and then he says, Adam was deceived. The woman wasn't. So like if she was the foolish one, but man is not foolish. We're the wise ones. So Paul doesn't really have some um, straightforward rationale here, at least for me. And here's why. If you turn with me now to the book of Judges, which is also scripture. And, and Paul was referring to Adam here and he's referring to, to Genesis, which is part of the Torah right? It's part of the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But go ahead and turn with me to the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament. It's right after the Pentateuch, okay? It's right after the book of Joshua, all right? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us down memory lane right here. It's all scripture. It's all biblical. Um, no reason to freak out about anything that we're doing or discussing today. Um, please disregard this Curtis Full Wiley. Um, he's making just a, a, a request, but w- please don't respond to people when they, when they log on to that. They can contact the church if they need any help. And we'd be more than happy to help somebody who wanted to call and share with us about their need. But um, we'll not pay attention to... Uh, Social media phishing scams. So in the book of Judges, chapter four, verse four, I want to talk about a person named Deborah, a woman. Now, this was a pretty um, fantastic woman, a pretty brilliant woman. Um, And so I'm going to just read this passage and then I'm going to ask some more questions about what Paul said about women teaching, women having authority over men. And then I'll let you think for yourself what you think about Paul's comment. Because we're not saying that everything that Paul says is right or wrong. We're just saying that we should always have discernment and we should always test every spirit um, that we come across and everything that that is written. Look what it says, Deborah, a prophetess. First of all, her name's Deborah, a woman. She's a prophetess, which means she is gifted in the word of in the area of prophecy. So she has the gift to to speak prophecy or to foresee um, future events over people's lives or or different situations. She's a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. So it mentions that she's a wife. Um, and her husband's name was Lapidoth. She was leading Israel at the time. There's no mistake here. There's no scribal error. There's no grammatical miscue. It didn't say Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, who was leading Israel at the time. No, it says Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. She was leading Israel at the time. Um. And so it would be a, a feminine article here that is speaking to the Hebrew um, word for leading. Let's look at the Hebrew word for leading. Um, and I'm going to turn in my Bible to 9149. 
the word 9149 is the Hebrew word sabbat or shabbat. Um, it means to judge, decide, lead, vindicate, execute judgment, um, or to argue a matter. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidot, was the judge of Israel at the time. She was the leader of Israel. She held court, so she was a judge. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. Now, she was a gifted woman. Deborah was, and she was a, an Israelite. She was a Jew. Who is Paul? Paul was a Jew of Jews, an Israelite of Israelites. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, um, a son of Abraham. And Deborah also falls in the line of who was the first or not necessarily the first, but the, one of the first leaders here in this lineage is Moses. So we got Moses, we have, we have Joshua, we have Ehud, we have Othniel, we have all these other judges and leaders of Israel, and then all of a sudden we have Deborah. And she's the leader of Israel. She's the prophetess, and she's the judge. So she is in the same vein as Moses. Essentially, Deborah is Moses. So how can Paul say that he um, should not allow women to exercise authority over men if she's the most capable? She must have been the most capable to lead Israel. She was also married. So that means spiritually speaking, her husband was the head of their marriage. He was the head of his wife. But she was the head or spiritual head over all of Israel. So it's possible. It's possible. Um, and it goes on. It goes on to talk about this other stuff about this battle that they needed to, to fight. and How Barak and others should have been the ones to lead the men into battle. Instead, she says, since there's no man, I'll do it. And so Deborah enlists herself to lead the army. Now she's prophetess, she's judge, she's the leader, and now she's the commander of the army. <laughs> this woman was amazing. But but Paul wants to tell Timothy that no woman should ever um, teach or have authority over a man. Come on, Paul. What's going on, brother? Come on, Paul. I would just take us through the scriptures and remind us of what God has done and who God chooses to use. It's not up to us to decide whether God uses a man or a woman. That's ridiculous. I've had women teachers, professors that are smarter than me. I've had female principals. I've known female pastors, preachers, teachers that are so gifted in the word of God. I mean, look at Joyce Myers. If she's not anointed, look at Beth Moore. If she is not anointed in the word of God, I mean, I don't know who is, right? So they're they're anointed and they're gifted and they're called to these spiritual gifts and to have leadership over men and women. Praise the Lord. Why should anybody feel bad about that? Unless we're insecure, unless you're afraid of what's different because you, we cannot sit, we cannot take what Paul said right here about women in, in ministry and then apply it to our current present day. That would be anachronistic. Anachronistic means that you are taking something completely out of context based off of time, time and history. And so that does not make sense. It would be more of an impediment, and it, and it has been and still is, in some circles where people are teaching this literally, that women should not teach in the church, that women should not speak, speak up in the church, that women um, 
should not have any authority over a man at all. I mean, that's ludicrous, right? Um, and and praise God, if there's a if if we're reading scripture and we or if if you disagree with me, praise God, that's cool. But you still have to contend with the text that I just displayed in the book of Judges, chapter four. Deborah, she was the prophetess, the judge, the leader, and the commander of the army. So you can deal with that however you'd like. Um, and and but when we're we're talking about scripture right here, we need to be reminded that Paul was writing a letter. He was writing a, a letter to Timothy. That's what we're reading here. So there's good stuff in it. There's also stuff that may have, have been culturally appropriate for the first century. Maybe it wasn't even culturally appropriate for the first century. We know that Judges was written way before Paul's talking right here. Um, and we know that it came way before um, Paul was giving this teaching and this lesson right here. So anyways, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, I don't know if that's an encouragement to you. It's just, for me, it's a reminder of scripture. I always like to bring out these very important things. Um, also, Rachel, um, one of the wives of, of Jacob, she was um, a shepherdess. She was a female pastor. She shepherded sheep um, and a female. And so, um, you know, there are women who break the mold. There are women longshoremen right? That break the mold. You know, um, most people down there at the docks are men. Let's just face it. It's a physically taxing. It's a very physically demanding job to be at the docks. Doesn't mean that a woman can't do it. No, if a woman wants to do it and she's able and she's capable and she could do everything that a man does, let her do it. But, it, you know, in some cases, there may be where a man is more suited for a particular job. Um, we have women at our church that are longshoremen, longshore women, right? My mother-in-law, she's one of them. Dolores Villa, she's another. Um, the list goes on and on. Sister Rosie Castorina, she's another one, right? So there are lots of wonderful, strong, physically able and capable women to do the jobs. I saw women uh, truck drivers, women construction workers. There's more and more. If that's the line of work, shoot, we had a woman working at a, with the construction crew here at my house this last um, year in a small remodel, and she was a better worker than the guys. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not. I'm telling the truth. She was just as strong as the guys, but she worked harder than all the guys, um, and. And praise God, if the Lord calls my daughter to preach or to teach and anoints her in the word of God and teaches her and gives her a gift and a calling spiritually and where she's leading men, both men and women, praise the Lord. If that's the anointing and the mantle that God places on my daughter, praise God. Glory to God in the highest. Um, so there are there definitely are some kind of uh, chauvinistic tendencies and tones to the scripture let's let's admit that at the same time don't cast cast out or you know how they say don't throw the baby out with the bath with the bath water you need to throw the bath water out right and some of these things i think were um i take i take uh, exception to that paul is speaking about and that's okay people we're we're studying the word of god together we are not blaspheming the word of god we are not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um, we are not blaspheming God by critically analyzing the scripture because we still believe that scripture is the authority over our life. All right. But in issues like this, where culturally speaking, it's it's out of context for it says for women to have braids in their hair or to, to wear gold or jewelry. Well, we know that women having their hair braided is actually beneficial in certain jobs. Men have long hair. They braid their hair because it gets out of their face. So it's easier to do things. And it's just a different style these days. The biggest thing that Paul was saying was, don't blend in with the ways of the world 
that may be distracting to one another's um, life, to someone's walk with Christ. And let's just be distinct. Doesn't mean that, you know, we have to become um, so, so religious or pious about certain things that we think it's somehow helping our walk with Christ. Some ways we could be hindering our walk with Christ. Okay, so I've said a lot. Um, do you have any questions so far? Um, any questions on the text? We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you have any questions so far, any concerns about what I'm saying, ask it. Go ahead, ask away. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. It's very good, very true. It's a good thing to want to lead. It's a good thing to want to step up, to grow in one's faith, to grow in one's walk, to grow in one's responsibility, to mature in Christ. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. See, if you're going to be an overseer, if you're going to be somebody that oversees others, um, it's very important that we do hold ourselves ourselves to um, a higher standard. I'm sorry. We just have to. Um, we must hold ourselves to a higher standard because we have a lot more writing on it now. You make a mistake. I make a mistake. We're not perfect. But when we make mistakes, it affects a whole lot more people. So there's a trickle-down effect, right? Or there's a cause and effect. It says, now, um, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife. So it's Paul, of course, again, speaking primarily to men. He says, you need to be a husband of one wife. Um, temperate self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And I would say, and I would add, I would add, not um, now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife or the wife of but one husband. I would say they both go hand in hand together that we're gonna we're gonna play play this game even-handed um me personally i believe that there's a lot of things that boomy and i see eye to eye in um and and i think that there's there's things that even in my own personal family um and in our marriage that Boomi and I both agree that I, as the husband, am the head of the household, and my wife um, is a loving woman, as I am called to love my wife. Um, and so, when it comes to the household, the godly household uh, rules of how Paul was setting up the church with Timothy. He does things again for a reason to establish some some precedences uh, for how the churches should conduct themselves and how they should create order in their church. Right. And so in my home, there's order. Right. So there's only two parents in my home as me and Boomy. Sometimes if we disagree, we have to both figure out if there's a situation where you know, my decision will be the last decision. We both have to agree on it. And then we have to um, decide on if there's another situation where we both say, you know what, we don't agree. But mom, this is something that, you know, we both agree or that I, I relinquish the authority over my wife, spiritually speaking, and say, babe, you make the decision. I believe you're better equipped. I believe you have put more thought into this situation and it's not a deal breaker for us, for our household. Then my wife makes final decisions sometimes. So we both, we have a, a, a very good give and take. 
Now, Sister Sandra asked a question, and I'll, I'll pause for the question. She says, isn't there a context to Paul's letter to Timothy? I think something was going on in the Corinthian church at the time. Now, I don't believe that this has anything in particular to do with the church in Corinth. Although Corinth had its own issues and own problems, um, Timothy was in Ephesus. And if you recall, um, when Paul asked Timothy to stay back in Ephesus, Timothy didn't want to stay back. Timothy wanted to, to stay with Paul and continue on all of his missionary journeys. For example, they went to Macedonia. They went to, um, they went to Corinth for a time. Um, they went to Jerusalem. They were in Rome. Um, and in first Tim Timothy chapter four, you will see that there's a portion of scripture that talks about the food, um, dietary restrictions and laws. Um, and so Paul does give Timothy some, some, some advice, some wisdom, some instruction on what he needed to bring, um, to the church at Corinth. Um, but in general, Paul was handing off a whole lot of other things that, that, um, was, was beneficial for the church. Now, for example, the issues about, um, women in the church was not just an issue in Corinth. That would have been an issue all throughout the Mediterranean region. Right. Especially like in Greece, right, where there was lots of um, Gentile believers that were contending with the faith. Um, there were, you know, temples, pagan temples everywhere where, where Paul was trying to have the Christians kind of set themselves apart because it was just the beginning of the Christian church trying to establish solid teaching um, removing false teachers or, or people that were in it for themselves, self-promotion, um, things of that nature. So the, the, the answer to Sister Sandra's question is no, not necessarily no, as in it didn't have anything to do with the, the, the Corinthian church only, but I would say that it would have dealt with the church at Corinth, um, but also other places that Timothy was going, such as Ephesus. Um, as an example, um, if we if we continue here, so I hope that answers your your question, Sandra. Yes, there is always a context. Um, that's another another response to Sister Sandra's question about context. There is always going to be a context to the letters that Paul writes. Normally, it's coming from questions that are being sent to him, letters that are being delivered to Paul. That he can respond to line for line, question and answer or and response. Um, but he was giving Timothy a treatise to uh, strengthen Timothy in the faith and give him the confidence that he needed um, to continue. Now, here's here's something that's interesting. Timothy wasn't so much younger than than Paul. Um, some scholars believe that Timothy was around the same age as Paul, but he was his son in the Lord. He was his son in Christ as his spirit. And, and Paul was his spiritual father. So um, when Paul is writing to Timothy, there, there's not this big, huge age gap, right? It's just his youthfulness in the Lord and in Christ. Okay, let's continue in chapter three. Um, it says a, a, an overseer or a episkopos, the Greek word episkopos, uh, episkopos, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I mean, that those are really, really good things. Those are all, you know, legitimate, um, wise counsel for the early church. 
that, man, it's, you just got to be a, a stable, well-grounded individual that is capable of loving people, caring for people, and shepherding people. Not quarrelsome means you're not always trying to cr- create drama or be at the center of drama. Um, being gentle and not violent, running people away or quick to fight, quick to argue, quick to scream, quick to yell, quick to, you know, want to become a tyrant or abuse power or authority, right? So these are good things. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Verse four. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. I know we're coming close to the time. But does that mean that current day pastors have to be perfect? Does it mean that their households have to be perfect? How many of you know, how many of us know pastors or elders or leaders in the church that their children are troubled, right? Does that mean that they're disqualified from doing what God's called them to do? I think that Paul's just trying to give some strong standards that if somebody is having issues, look into the issues, ask the questions, ask the next level questions, get to the heart of whatever the issue may be. What is the, what is the, the, the situation? Because if you have adult children or you have grown children and they're having problems and issues, like, yeah, there may need to be some support and some, some help to to come alongside an elder or a leader or a pastor for that matter. I mean, man, when I, I think of my grandparents, when they were pastoring Mission Ebenezer in the 60s, right? My dad and his, his sister, um, Sister Liz, Elizabeth or Mama Lisi, man, they were getting into a lot of trouble. They were, you know, they were rebellious in their teenage years. And my grandfather and grandmother just, they continued to serve the Lord faithfully, praying for their children, right? Um, granted, my grandparents, they were, they were um, pretty strict. They were strict, old school, hellfire and brimstone, man. You know what I mean? So yeah, there may have been a reason for the rebellion. And there may have been maybe some lack of, you know, uh, wisdom or experience there when it comes to raising children. But my grandfather was a pioneer. My grandmother was a, she was a pioneer. Now, if you want to do a, a genogram, I don't know if you know what a genogram is, is when you study your family tree and then you study the, the issues or the challenges that families suffer and you can go all the way up the family tree. You can look at divorce. You can look at, um, abuse in a family. You can look at addiction in a family. You can look at early death in a family. You can look at um, deceased children. You can look at um, miscarriages, so on and so forth. And you can see how different things affect generations down the line. Whether you have Christ or not, whether you're Christian or not, real life situations and circumstances really affects people. My, my grandfather, Miguel Canales, was, was an orphan. He was an orphan at the age of 11. He and his brother f- came from Mexico to Central California. They were 11 and 15 years old. They raised themselves. They lacked a lot of the parenting skills. They, they were trying to figure life out on their own, just trying to survive. So you got this type of a migrant, you know, teenager who's orphaned. Raising himself, gets married to my grandmother. My grandmother was abducted. She was abducted by her own father from her mother and her grandmother from Mexico and brought to Central California. So I got my grandparents, who the Lord got a hold of each of their lives radically. I mean, you know, just turned their lives around. But guess what? They're dealing with life and what life has dealt them. So they were raised and having to figure things out. So guess what? When they received Christ and they were Pentecostal, right? Um, when they were Pentecostal and they were in a strict home, right? 
and there was no TV and there was no this and there was no that, no the other, right? Then the teenagers, by the time they get old, they're like, man, forget this. We out. So my dad and my aunt and, you know, my, my aunties, because I have four aunts, one of them's deceased, one of them's passed. But guess what? They had to deal with real life. So the, the kids were rebellious. What does that mean? That my grandfather, who was a pioneer, a trailblazer, a migrant farm worker, a World War II veteran who was called by God to be a pastor, shouldn't be a pastor when he started to have issues and struggles with his own children. So again, Paul is speaking right here of hypotheticals. I, ideally, he's like, hey, let's find out why. Right. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm going to be real. Sometimes we in the church, we can be hypocritical, which means we're the ones judging. Uh, right. Hupo kritos. Right. Means that we are hypercritical of situations um, where we forget that God's a gracious God and a merciful God. And Paul has some really, really good stuff here to try and set a standard because you got to have a standard somewhere. Right. There is such thing as holiness. There is such thing as obedience. There is such thing as um, boundaries. There are such thing as sin. Yes, sin really does exist. There is such thing as disobedience. Right. Um, and and we, but but what is the bigger picture here is who is Christ? We're Christ followers. And Paul was doing his best to follow Christ. Paul wasn't given a whole manual. He's doing his best to give early followers, early church goers, early church planners, early church fathers some tools so that they could work with something, right? So uh, forgive me if I you know if I was if I'm beating up Paul a little too much. No, man, Paul was is amazing. Paul was amazing. Um and the majority of what Paul writes in the New Testament is just like it's like gospel. It's a it's a blessing. Finally, he says they must obey him him and I would say or her with proper respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Well, yeah, that's true, but also we have to cut people some slack. Some people need to grow in in, in different areas of wisdom and experience, right? But it shouldn't exclude it shouldn't disqualify somebody if they're dealing with other issues or uh, situations out of their control. We're the body of Christ. We're there to help raise a child, raise a village, and be a part of the body of Christ, discerning the spirit of God over a church, over a leader, over an episkopos, over a diakonos, over a, 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 a bishop, over an apostle, a pastor, any leader, right? We need to discern and trust God for that and let the body of Christ be the body and the family of Christ to come alongside. Um, so we need to be real careful that that we don't put people on blast or, or also try and um, have expectations of them to be like Christ or perfect. That's unfair. That's unfair of any person to expect perfection um, out of anybody. Although we should all be pursuing Christ's, his best, obedience, doing his will, right? That the kingdom of heaven should come here on earth now, um, empower us to live out the kingdom of heaven the best way that we can. It says he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Praise God. Um, not bad, not bad advice. Um, oh, yeah. I like what Sandra said. Sandra said Paul wasn't married, so he didn't have children. So he may not quite understand certain things. Praise God. Very good point, Sister Sandra. Very good point. Um, I would agree with you 100 percent. And in. The book of Romans chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, I, I am not married. He says, so I don't understand everything, but he says, I encourage you to be as I am, for I can dedicate all of my time to the, the service of the Lord and his church and his people. 
which is true and it's good. And some people have done that. But some people have a desire to be married and there's nothing wrong with that either. Then it says, uh, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect. Deacons are workers. So it could be um, men or women, workers that, that do the work of the house of God. And we have lots of deacons at our church um, that help do all the work of God, do a lot of the work of God. And, and it's a blessing. Um, what a good thing. Sincere, not indulging in much wine. So deacons was a different kind of leader that Paul is talking about here. So he's giving Timothy house structure, church structure. He says um, that, so they drank wine in the first century. It helped them to digest their food, right? Um, and so he was, what Paul was saying is like, don't indulge in wine. Don't crave wine or beer. Don't be the kind of person that's trying to go and get drunk. He's telling people to do everything with discretion. Be wise. You can't just be getting friggin' sauced, you know, and you're an elder and somebody that knocks on your door, you know, and they're like, can you come and pray for my family? They're sick. Or can you come now? And you're like, oh, I can't, you know, like that's not of Christ. So in anything, you have to exercise wisdom, discernment, discretion, um, and be wise just about the way we live, about life. Be wise, be wise. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Yes, absolutely. Verse 9, verse 10 of chapter 3, 1 Timothy. They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Um, tested means that they're evaluated, interviewed, that you can give them a time of or some opportunities to serve, to see if they can handle responsibilities. And sometimes when people don't handle responsibilities. You got to be careful. You don't give them too much um, responsibility, too much authority over people because they're not going to be responsible for it. They may not be able to handle that. Um, they may want to, like Paul says here, it is a good thing. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble thing. He's like, it. Praise God. You know, that's a good thing. But, you know, are you able? Is she able? Is he able to do the thing that he desires or she desires? And there has to be a council of elders that watch, that think, that feel, that listen. Me as a pastor, guess what? I can't see everything. I can't hear everything. I don't know everything. I don't. I don't feel everything. So guess what? There are some people in my life at church, they're my ears. Some others are my eyes, right? People that know things. There are people that um, have experienced things, right? And there's people that have gone through things. So my job to listen. Listen before I speak. Listen before we place somebody in a, in a position of authority. They have to be trustworthy. Um, man, there's so much good stuff here. We're pressed up against the hour. It's 729. We're going to end there. First Timothy chapter three. He basically says you got to be a pillar. Um, you need to be established on the foundation of truth. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, he's writing to Paul, uh, to Timothy, he says, I'm writing you these ins instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Um, what, a, what a fantastic way to finish our Bible study. Um, the Apostle Paul was a blessing. Um, what he's written has helped us immensely. We are continuing 
to add to the history. We are adding to the history of the church, of the body of Christ, of God's people. Um, thank you for being a part of mission. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. Um, if you don't have a home church, I encourage you to get plugged in. Come see us. Come join us. Come worship with us. Um, if you have gifts in the body that you know of, let's put them to work. Let's um, get you plugged in serving. And uh, if you don't know the word, if you don't, if you're just starting off in a relationship with Jesus, come grow, come learn. Um, mission is a great place. Uh, we serve an amazing God. Uh, God bless you. I love you. Thank you for tuning in tonight and for being a part of the word of God. I'm so thankful that you're a part of my life, my journey, helping to shape and mold me as I do the same for you. Love you. Bye-bye.